This is Glenn Healy. Hi, this is Braden Holpe. This is Daryl Sutter. Hi, this is Brian Burke. This is Jordan Tutu. This is Keith Morrison. This is Kelly Rudy. Hi, this is Scott Hartnell. Hey, everybody. My name is Steel Fleury. This is Tim McAuliffe of Sportsnet, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy hump day. Happy Wednesday. Hope everybody's doing well today. Um, we got a great one on tap. Before we get there, let's get to today's episode sponsors, Jen Gilbert and the team for over 45 years since 1976. The dedicated realtors of Coldwell Banker Cityside Realty have served Leominster and the surrounding area. Uh, they're not shy about uh, getting involved with good causes. I've been talking about their 50 minutes for 50 years, big brothers, big sisters. And then this past week, uh, they reached out and got involved here with uh, with uh, Bike for Breakfast, which is happening now in less than two weeks. Uh, it's crazy how quickly time is, is going by. But Jen Gilbert and the team over at Coldwell Banker heard what we were doing, and, and uh, it's why I love getting involved with Coldwell. They they hopped on board and, and uh, lent a hand to us. Um, you know, in, in the current environment, hopefully it's done sooner than later, they've uh, adopted virtual reality. And with this technology, they have the ability to show homes with live video walkthroughs of properties. And uh, your transactions can be completed using emails and electronic signing, so you don't have to worry about, um, you know, if you, if you want to do the distance thing, you can. They seem to find ways to, to meet all their customers' needs. That's Coldwell Banker, Cityside Realty, for everything real estate, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. 780-875-3343. HSI Group, they are the local oil field burners and combustion experts that can help make sure you have a compliant system working for you. The team also offers security, surveillance, and automation products for residential, commercial, livestock, and agricultural applications. They use technology to give you that peace of mind so you can focus on the things that truly matter. Stop in today, 3902 52nd Street, or give Brody or Kim a call at 306 825 63 10. T-Bar One Transport since 2002 for more than 19 years. The team at T-Bar has offered excellent service, putting the community first. They are uh, giving us a pilot truck and donating the fuel for, for the, the charter bus for this bike for breakfast, heading towards Tufnell, Saskatchewan and back here June 4th to June 6th. Uh, and they can cover all your heavy haul needs, whether you're in Lloydminster or Bonneville. They have uh, a fleet of uh, trucks that, you know, encompasses tank movers, 45-ton pickers, one-tons, flat decks, Texas bed, winch truck, and highway tractors. And uh, if you need anything, these are the guys for your heavy haul needs. Give them a call, T-Bar 1, 780-205-1709. Jim Spenrath and the team over at Three Trees Tap and Kitchen. Uh, Pretty quick here, you're going to be able to go down and get – a beef dip and a growler, I believe is what it is, uh, where the proceeds are going to go to bike for breakfast as well. And I got to give a shout out to Necky and, and Jim for working that out. Uh, sounds like Necky's a pretty loyal customer. Um, if you're wanting to find out more details on it, I would suggest following uh, the Three Trees social media. I'm sure they'll put up the details when it comes up or bike for breakfast for that matter. If you do follow, uh, Three Trees social media. Each week, they're giving out uh, a new or gift cards uh, to one lucky follower. And of course, I always bring up their growlers. They got the new logo. So if you can go down there and and get your growlers filled with whether you're talking Ribstone, Fourth Meridian, you name it, they got it on tap. They'll fill a growler for you. And make sure to book reservations uh, because they're busy and fill up 780 874 76 
2.25. Finally, Crude Master. Since 2006, Crude Master has been an integral part of the community. Uh, they are a leader in the oil and gas industry, and they never cease to amaze me. You know, I always talk highly about them here and with the podcast. But June 4th, with a group of us embarking on the two-day bike trip, um, raising money for you know the Lloyd Public, Lloyd Catholic, Northwest Buffalo Trail, and Onion Lake, Heath and Tracy and, and the family. Uh, stepped up big and made a giant, spl- uh, you know, made a giant donation, giant by my estimation, of twenty-five thousand uh, dollars. That was way back at the start of this, and uh, I can't thank them enough for hopping on board with, with this idea and this cause. And finally, I said finally a couple times, but uh, have you seen the SMP billboard? I got to give a shout out to uh, the team over at Read and Write, their outdoor signage, Mrs. Deanna Wandler. Uh, or even looking around the studio, my wall quote, my wall quote, or my logo, they put it in and make it look sharp. So if you're looking for any signage, make sure you stop in to read and write. Um, Gartner Management is a Lloydminster-based company specializing in all types of rental properties to help meet your needs. Now, whether you're looking for a small office or a 6,000 square foot commercial space, give Wade Gartner a call today: 780-808-5025. You head into any of these businesses, make sure you let them know you heard about them from the podcast. Right now, let's get on to that T-bar one tale of the tape. Volunteer, family man, and community pillar. I'm talking about Graham Brown. So buckle up, here we go. It's November 8th, 2020. I'm sitting across from Graham Brown. So first off, thanks for uh, coming in. You're welcome. Now, I want to talk to you about growing up in Cut Knife um, back, you know, 1950s. What was Cut Knife growing up in Cut Knife 1950s like? What do you what are your memories, your early memories from back then? Um, I remember lots of kids having lots of fun and and uh, it was a town uh, all the families had lots of kids, so there was always everybody something to do all the time. And there was always things going on and uh, What were some of the things going on? Like, well, we made our own fun, whether it was going and playing ball or going out to the grove and hunting and or lots of different things and going to school. And we didn't really have in those days a lot of organized, but we had hockey in the winter. We had baseball in the summer. Um, later on, there was curling and stuff. But the hockey player in me wonders, was it on an outdoor rink? Um, no. I remember playing on an outdoor rink, but that was back in Rock Haven before we moved to Cut Knife when I was, before I started school, I guess. Um, but we had a closed-in arena in, in Cut Knife, was and that was pretty awesome. That would have been unusual for that time. Yes, yes. And for a small town like that, yeah. yeah. About 500 people. But there was lots of kids and always things to do, and it seemed like we kept pretty busy. We just you get up and you'd get fed, and away you went, and you'd be back for mealtime and out again, and away you went. Now I go to the lake, and our grandkids are at the lake, and they go out running around. It reminds me of cut knife when we were kids, just having fun. You talk about. Uh different things and staying busy 
Was it a one-room school host back then? No. Nope. Or what, did you nope. have a, did nope. Cap Mave had a full-on school? I had a full-on school. I did start my grade one um, in in a place called Rock Haven, about six miles from Cutknife, where we first lived bef- when we came from England before we moved to Cutknife. And that was a two-room school. And it had one to six in one room and six to 12 on the other room. And each row was a different grade. When we got to uh, Cutknife, that was, they had just finished building a new elementary school. And it was huge. And all the, everybody, all these grades had their own rooms. And it was pretty awesome. <laughs> and then we, uh, as we progressed through school, uh, when uh, I got to grade 10, um, they had just built a brand new high school there. So we went and we were the first ones into the brand new high school too. So in those days, uh, it was a lot of expansion, a lot of new buildings because there was lots of kids there and it was a growing community. So you kind of hit the money ball with uh, always getting the new facility. Yeah, we did good. <laughs> what do you remember about going to school back uh, in the new facility, every classroom having rooms? Um, is there some things that stick out to you from back then? Not really. Um, when we got to the new big school in, in high school, that, that was quite awesome that we had that because uh, now you had diff- all these different teachers and different teachers for each subject, and we weren't used to that. But uh, that was a big change and and uh, big gym, so there was a lot more. Phys ed was starting to become part of the curriculum, and and that was quite a major change. Before that, it wasn't part of the curriculum? No, because there was really no facilities. You went out at recess, and so there was really no organized sports in the schools because there was really no physical, no gyms, no activity places. So you did subjects, and you did your running around after and um, uh, during recess and stuff, and and some of the, the sports that you did were usually community organized. But it was... After when they started building the new schools with gyms, then you started getting, that was the first time we'd ever had a phys ed teacher. Now there was a phys ed teacher in our school and a phys ed program. What was your first school organized sport you played then? Uh, Probably badminton or probably badminton. Do you remember... Because uh, the hockey and ball was in was community was or- community organized. Yep. Huh. I always just assume you know being a younger guy, and I don't know why I assume such things that sports, school sports in particular, had been around for a long time. Did you play all different sports, or did you pick? Uh, did you just go? Well, no, I'm gonna I play bad, badminton. Or- by the I was kind of finishing school then, but my younger brothers got quite active in a lot of sports that were now being presented by the school. Curling and stuff like that that was never part basketball. It was never part of part of the program when I was in school. So if you'd wanted to play uh, basketball in particular, you you did it on the outside time and realistically there wasn't no team happening anyways. There was no facilities. There was no basketball hoops, nothing uh, in our small town. It was hockey, baseball. That's it. No other options? No. You didn't have playgrounds that had ba- basketball hoops or anything on them. There was just playgrounds that were ball diamonds. 
Hmm. So you grew and, up with a in the summertime you grew up with a bat and a baseball mitt, and then once the snow flied and the uh, ice was was on, you threw your skates and your glove and your stick and away you went. You went skating every second night, or and then playing hockey every playing hockey as much well, probably a couple times a, a week. We had hockey practice or a hockey game, but if you weren't, then you went to the rink skating. Everybody went to the rink skating. How about, um, you know, different uh, people who have come through here have talked about uh, no power, no running water, um, the growth of the use of the phone. I mean, now with the the phone sitting in your hand. If you go back to living in small town cut knife, did you guys have running water? Did you have power? No. No. We had power. Um, but when we moved there, we built a moved in an old house, and it was sitting on a cistern, and our bathroom was a five gallon pail in the in the basement, and it was kind of dirt cellar down there, and you'd get the job every day. We'd have to take that five gallon pail and pull it out of its little enclosure, and take it out to the outhouse and dump it. And that was lots of fun because the five-gallon <laughs> pail in those days was as, almost as big as I was. <laughs> and yet that was and one that of your was jobs? One you of the jobs. And then um, we had, so we, our own water was our own. We had a cistern, so we would have to, um, we would have to uh, get water hauled in and then use that. And then uh, uh, while I was a young child there is when the, the town finally got running water. And they wouldn't come to our house because we were a couple of blocks down a road at the end, and it was too far to go. So then my parents built a newer home a couple blocks back into town where we were on water. So we we got a new home with uh, water and sewer and all the amenities. all the modern amenities, and that was uh, so I that was in 1963. So I was turning 13 that fall. So I was 12 then, turning 13. And uh, that was pretty nice. And then we and we had some, all had some bedrooms, but with seven of us, we still had a bedroom with three boys in one room, two girls in the other room, and upstairs my two little brothers got the other bedroom and mom and dad. And, but then we went to a meeting um, about that same time. Um, downtown they had called a general meeting for us to all go and they were showing us these new phones and these huge numbers like there was seven digits in these numbers and we were used to our phone number used to be 42 and I remember talking people at the meeting like how are we ever going to remember this like how are you going to remember your own phone number when it's seven digits I remember people talking about that but it was pretty comical now you look back at it it's kind of funny yeah it's new right yeah and now to think that you've got phones that are just you can do anything you need a flashlight you need a camera you need yeah it's you it's need a to Swiss know army knife of phones you, you need to know <laughs> how how do i hook this thing up oh just google it <laughs> oh you put this wire here that wire there okay done okay fixed how come this thing doesn't work? Oh, Google it. Okay, try this. Done. Different world. But it was a simple life then. 
It was lots of fun. So you, you made a lot of your own fun. Like we all went out, all the kids and playing and doing stuff, but just find things to do all day. Go back to this house where you uh, had to take the five-gallon pail. How, how big of a house was it? You, you'd mentioned when they built, and I don't mean square foot, I mean rooms. You mentioned when you, you uh, built the new house, uh, three boys in one room and, and what, uh, multiple rooms with kids stuck in it. Was the first house like that as well, or were you, was it smaller? Um, I don't remember. It was two stories. Mom and Dad had their, it was a living room and a kitchen um, downstairs and mom and dad's bedroom. So upstairs, I think, where there was two or three bedrooms for the seven of us. Do you ever find it um, amusing? And nowadays, people all talk about every kid needing their own room and oh, own yes. space. And oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of that? Well, it, it's, it's a different world, and they're expected now to have that space, and it's different expectations. Like when we went built the new house, and it was huge. It was a thousand square feet. Well, nowadays you can't have a house a thousand square feet. It's hardly enough, just even for two people. So, it's just different world. But I guess it's how we move forward is we keep demanding more and better, and as we do, then we produce more and grow the economy and people and different. So I guess that's what we're about we're supposed to keep moving ahead when you got into that new house and you had running water did you all go i'm taking a hot shower i'm i'm taking we're gonna i don't know wash the dishes what what was i don't remember that i i remember it was every morning you get up and and have a quick shower on your way out to school and stuff like that um but uh you you just went and did it real quick and got outside because that's what you wanted to do. You wanted to be out playing <laughs> with your friends. <laughs> How about, uh, you know, I was just at the store the other day and the selection of TVs and the price now on TVs is, I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like it's an old technology. Like you can get a big TV for next to nothing. Back in the 50s, it would have been a little bit different. Do you remember some of the, maybe the first television you got, or maybe some of the shows you guys watched, or maybe all of the above? Funny, uh, I distinctly remember coming home one day, um, it was was in the old house, and coming around the corner, and there's these people on our house, and they're putting a TV antenna up. What the heck is that? And then I get home and we find out that there's this new station that has just gone on in Lloydminster, CKSA. And we can get it with this big Aggie. So here they were putting it up and my dad had brought home this old black and white TV and this was really something. And you sit it in the living room and and then we used to watch the, the news out of Lloydminster and the weather and sports scope used to be the old sports and the, and the CBC programming in those days. And, and of course, then you, you didn't need to worry about changing channels because there was only one. Um, but I distinctly remember that day that I came home and we had a TV set. And it was quite something. 
What was one was, of you, what was one of your favorite shows that came on back then? Her favorite nights of the week was it was it Saturday night? Well, it was usually well the the hockey night in Canada was always big, um, and uh, then Sunday nights you always had um, Ed Sullivan and followed by Bonanza, and usually mom and dad would try and send you to bed when Bonanza started. So it wasn't until you got older that you got to watch that. But uh, Ed Sullivan was probably the big thing. Walt Disney was always on at supper time at, at six or seven. And then, yeah, so it would have been seven o'clock. Disney was every night, uh, Sunday night after supper. First thing after supper was wonderful world of Disney. And it was always Walt Disney himself introducing the show. So even as a kid, I remember Walt Disney. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Those are fond memories. Yeah. We, <laughs> you talk about one channel. We, I always tell the young kids now we had two channels. We had, we had options. We had a second channel. Yep. Two and four. When you graduate from high school, what, what are you thinking? What are you going? I want to do this. I want to go here. I want to. You know, it's it's 1968, a grad class in 1968. Did you have big thoughts of, like, let's go conquer the world? Um, I don't remember those. Um, I just remember thinking, uh, I got to get out of the house here. I got to leave home now. I got to go make my own way. I got to go do something. Where am I going to go? Well, first of all, I need to eat, so I guess I need a job somewhere. And... Uh, I talked to my friend in uh, Lloyd Minster, and he said, uh, come up here, I got a job for you. And so uh, I did. I moved to uh, Lloyd Minster and went into the co-op, and they hired me. And So you moved to Lloyd Minster in 1968? 1968. Paint me a picture of Lloyd Minster in 1968. Um, a lot smaller than it was now. Um, there was really... Uh, no uh, housing on the south side of the highway uh, on the Alberta side. Um, the Saskatchewan side had the housing down to about where the co-op store is now. And then the uh, they were starting to build new homes there. And uh, the new area in on the Alberta side was Alberta Crescent. And uh, it was... Uh, it seemed like a very busy town, uh, lots going on. Uh, the co-op was downtown, and I worked at the co-op packing groceries there. And, uh, yeah, the, the old BA station on the corner where the Petro Canada is now and Texaco where KFC is, and kind of everything rotated around that. And uh, if you went for a drive, when you're young kids driving around in town at in the evening, checking things out, you would go up the main drag to 51, around the TV station, back down 50th, um, and then out the highway to A&W, which is now where, across uh, from the Dairy Queen, where, uh, where the, used to be the ranch house, but now it's uh, Amador's place. That used to be a drive-through A&W where they had car hops and that, and you go around there and out and back down the highway and then through the Sellers Dairy Freeze, which is beside where the KFC is now, and then that back down the highway, up downtown and around. And so it was an quite a circuit. <laughs> so as an 18-year-old bagging groceries, a little pocket, uh, change in your pocket, 
What you young kids would do for fun was drive the strip. Drive the strip. Yep. And and at that time, there was always dances on Friday night, um, usually out at Lashburn or Maidstone or sometimes in Marshall. Funny, in the odd time, there'd be ones at the Legion Hall in Lloyd that would be, the Legion Hall was down where the co-op is now at the corner. Um, but there would be, but there seemed to be dances going all the time. There was always these rock bands that were trying to get going, and there was a few pretty popular ones around here. So there was always a dance going on, and that was pretty cool. So there was always, we were always headed out Friday night, Saturday night to a dance somewhere. So it was pretty fun. But, you know, it was interesting uh, when you look back at that because in two weeks, my pay for two weeks was about uh, $90, and half of that went for rent, room and board. So it was costing me about $90 a month for um, room and board, and I get another $90 to pay all my expenses. <laughs> and that wasn't that bad of money. We seemed to do okay on it at that time, but boy, now you couldn't buy a bag of groceries for that. Were you taking any trips into... You know, later on in your life, you end up living in Saskatoon, you end up living in Edmonton and Red Deer. Were you guys traveling around doing any of that back then? Or was it... Oh, uh, we didn't travel much, no. No, in those days you didn't travel much. Going to the big city, it was that wasn't something that you did. Like now, you just don't even think about it. You just do it. So why didn't you do it back then? There was no... Pol- no, no reason to go, I guess. I mean, you were having your fun locally. So... W- when then does it change? Then you decide, you know what? Maybe I should go to college. Maybe I should, maybe I should go to university. Um, I guess that's from meeting my wife. <laughs> well, let's and talk about your wife, Joan. And then uh, Joan is going on to nurses training, and as she's going on to nurses training, okay. So then the next question is, so what am I going to do? Where did you Where did you meet your wife, Joan? Mm, at these dances. At one of the dances. <laughs> yep. When you meet Joan at the dance and you guys start to know one another, where's one of the first dates you take her on? Where was the hot spot to take a girl for a date back then? Well, the main, I guess the main, probably the big thing that in those days was the movies. So Drive-in? There was, uh, the, the drive-ins were open. Um, in the summer times, you had drive-ins. Um, but mainly the, the movie theater that was downtown, the May, the May Theater, that was right on the main drag there. They, they just have their office in there now, but that was the theater then. And uh, that was probably the, the one when the main first date was a triple header. It was a October long weekend, and, I, and it was because of the long weekend that they had this triple header movie thing. It was supposed to be a big, big thing. We took Joan to that. And the rest, they say, is history. <laughs> what uh, I got, the movie lover in me has got to know. What what movies are? Do I don't even remember what the movies were. You know, we just had uh, we just had Sean Connery pass away, and he was the original Bond. Do you remember when the Bond movies came out? Yes, I don't remember them coming out, but I remember him acting in the Bond, James Bond. 
Well, they were such fantastic movies. Did you see those? Did you ever see them uh, first weekend, opening weekend, or opening no, year? No, I, I, we never did a lot of that where something was just breaking and you had to go to it. Um, it was mainly, and, and maybe because I'm not sure that a lot of those movies came to Lloydminster when they were breaking. They were usually um, farther down the release by the time they got here. and Interesting. How but ma- how, I, but how well, lots of times you just went to the movies because that's the only movie house. That's the only movie. Um, it's Friday night. It's fr- You go to the movies. So whatever's playing, that's what you're going to. <laughs> well, I, I, I played my hockey out in Dryden, Ontario, and they only, yes. had, they only had one, uh, a single room movie house or movie yep. theater. Yeah. So... You know all about it. <laughs> That's right. Tuesday night is is James Bond, and Wednesday is I don't know Titanic. Let's throw something yeah. completely off the uh, other side, right? And y- you only had one option, or maybe they maybe they had a couple of options. They'd play a couple of different movies at different times, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's it's uh, now you think about going to the movies, and how many options we got in town now? I mean, you go to a big center, how many options yes. you got? You got like yeah. sixteen yeah. options. Yeah, and everything as soon as it's out. Yeah. It's almost in every yeah. movie theater yeah. now. So when we moved back here in 1976, and it was the next year in 77, that the Mays were just opening this twin theater where the theater is now, and the, the red and the blue. They had one that was all red and one that was all blue, and there was this was a twin theater. Like, wow, there's going to be two choices any night now, and it's 7 and 9 o'clock. There's four shows a night. Wow. So it was quite a change. And of course that's just expanded and expanded and expanded and expanded till the Mays have done a very good job here, I think. They've worked hard and expanded that as much as they can, as fast as they can, and kept the pace pretty good, I think. Yeah, well and for myself, going to the movies was always something in Lloyd you always it's there's always been it's kinda like Something you do on the Friday or the Tuesday or whatever yes, night yep, it is. Yep. There's always a night you you uh, you go to the movie theater. Yep. It's been a, almost a, a a way of life in Lloydminster. Yep. Movies or dances or to the lake or. What did you What did you think of moving to Saskatoon? You mentioned we talk. You you moved to Saskatoon. You're dating Joan at the time. She's going to Edmonton. You're going to Saskatoon. What did you think of moving into Saskatoon, which at the time would have been the big city? Oh, it was quite different. Yeah, it, uh, it was a big city, and and trying to go to university and do classes uh, and trying to pick up where you left off in grade 12 was quite a challenge. Um, and... Didn't prove very well, so that didn't last very long. Well, uh, then you moved to Edmonton, which then is I moved e- to Edmonton, yes, which is an even bigger city. Yes, yeah, it was big. <laughs> and then I worked uh, with Kirby Vacuum Cleaners, uh, s- selling vacuum cleaners and driving all over the city. And we had pre uh, pre uh, appointments all arranged. We just had to go and do the presentations. But uh, boy, it was a huge city. It's a lot larger now, but it sure seemed large then. What did you think of selling vacuum cleaners? 
I loved the selling part of it, and the product was good, and so I enjoyed it and did well at it for a couple of years. You know, you're a guy who spent pretty much majority of his lifetime in sales. Yes. What That's did, what got me started in sales. Well, what, what did selling vacuum cleaners teach you about sales? Um, good question. Um, I guess it taught me that I enjoyed sales, that I enjoyed um, talking to people, working with people, um, helping them understand the product and the benefits of it, um, and completing the sale and so they have the product and can enjoy the benefits. Um, because that just, from there on, uh, all jobs that I had were sales. Yeah, selling vacuum cleaners. I mean, how the world has changed. I mean, you still got vacuum cleaner being bought all the time. Yeah. But to actually have one dedicated to just selling a vacuum cleaner just seems foreign to my brain, I guess. Yes. Right? You go yes. in, if you want a vacuum cleaner now, you go to yes. one of the department stores yep. and yep. away you go. Yep. In those days, the there was a number of companies. There's a lot of companies. The product was available in department stores, and there was an, uh, three or four companies that had their own sales force. So if you wanted, you called these companies, and these companies lined up appointments, and you went in and demonstrated your particular product and what were the benefits of it and why should they have it. Was there good money in that? Uh, I did Okay. What was, like, so you go from Cut Knife to Lloyd to Saskatoon across to Edmonton, then you move to Red Deer. Now, in a matter of years, you've you've kind of seen a bunch of Alberta and Saskatchewan. Now you're in the sales force. Um, you're dating a girl who's becoming a nurse. Yes. What was it? When you, care, when you go back and you look at your time in Red Deer, because in Red Deer you start to, uh, this is where you slowly stumble into, or maybe I don't know if stumble is the right word, but you, you find um, media yes. and CKRD. Um, when you look back at your time in Red Deer, what sticks out? Um, uh, very fond memories of uh, Red Deer. Uh, we were just young. We were just getting married, um, starting a home, um, and... In, had a job that uh, I really enjoyed. I was in sales and and working away at lear, learning to get better at it, um, and uh, really enjoyed the city. It was a fun city. It was a nice size city. Um, so we um, we got involved in the in the community with the Optimus Club and got to meet some great people and have some fun and trying to start out life and things were were good and once we got married and settled and then started a family and had my oldest daughter there and everything was going along very well it was a nice city and a great city and it was it was at a time when the economy was doing well and everybody was doing well and it was fun what brings you back to Lloyd Minster then so as I'm in the broadcast and working there, um, Joan's dad passed away here in Lloydminster. And so 
Then when I was offered a position to come back and work in sales, television sales in Lloydminster, and uh, after some discussion, Joan and I decided that we were going to do that. We were going to move back here, and we were going to get involved in this operation and with CKSA and work away at what we could do there. I would think long, I mean, like career-wise, like you must have had a successful career. You hit Lloyd at a time over the next 30 years that Lloyd really grows immensely. Well, in spurts and... True, true. You know, there was uh, times when we were going crazy. When I moved here in 76, um, they were saying that there's an upgrader that's going to get built in Lloydminster, and it's just days away from announcing in 1976. So there was a lot of excitement in the community, and the oil business was doing very well, and uh, it was a growing, exciting, growing community. But we've had some bumps along the way. And then when all of a sudden, when the world price of oil goes down, we shut, shutter half the town. And so there was 80, in the 80s, we'd gone down to $10 oil and uh, shuttered half the town. And in those days, when you didn't have the upgrader uh, pumping certain, uh, a lot of oil every day, um, you'd close up half the oil patch if the oil w- price w- wasn't good. So um, it was kind of boom and bust, boom and bust. Well, I'm curious about that because, I mean, obviously you've lived through some of the boom and bust. Mm-hmm. Currently, we're in a very precarious position with how the last year's gone, uh, coronavirus, the pandemic, the lockdowns, everything. When you go back to the 80s, if you can put yourself back then when uh, interest rates are skyrocketing. and Oh, we remember those well, yes. What are, what are some of the things that you remember about that time that you could pass along to not only us right now, but generations to come? You know, when things are bad like that, Um, I think that's when you kind of look around. I remember in the 80s where you got $10 oil, you got interest rates going up every day. Every week the government used to, the Bank of Canada, I guess, would look at the economy and they would set the rate every Thursday. And it was always going up 10, 11, 12, 13, got as high as 18, I think, was. And in our business, um, we had a fair amount of loans out. We just expanded from one station to two stations in television and had to borrow some money to do that. And so every week when you got an I- increase in interest rate, you just got handed a higher interest bill. And so things were looking pretty bleak. But you, you kind of look around at yourself and you kind of think, okay, can't get much worse than this. Um, And so we think we can keep working at this. We're okay. So you kind of start to look at the future with a fair amount of optimism because you know it's not going to get worse. So you kind of look there and say, I think I'm okay here. It's going to be a challenge, but we're going to do this. And as we're going to do this, we're going to come out of it and better days are ahead. So it kind of gives you the enthusiasm to keep going. And I think that's the same thing we're in right now. With the pandemic, 
um, boy, it's it's a problem every day. When you look at the number of infections every day, people dying every day, oh my gosh. Okay, so what do I do? Okay, I, what can I do about it? Um, I can do the best I can, wear the mask, do the social distancing, try and do that, but I can handle this. But I do know it's not going to get worse than this. It's probably going to get better. So as the saying goes, uh, this will pass. And one thing I've seen with the oil industry, it's boom, bust, boom, bust, boom, bust. But we're in a bust. But after every bust comes a boom. After every boom comes a bust. So um, in my time in Lloydminster, I think I've been through about three of these boom-bust cycles and about three to four of them. Uh, Mid-80s, we were just, we were in real problems here. Um, So... uh, closing up half the town, people losing their businesses. Um, It was tough, and it was really hard on some people. A lot of people didn't make it. Um, But when you get in these situations, they say that it makes you tougher, makes you better. Yes, it does. And if, if you can, if you're fortunate enough to be in a position to be able to make it through, and some people didn't make it through, and it's not because of them. There were circumstances in that they couldn't do anything about. Um, and that's very tragic. Um, I've known some um, very good uh, local business people that were involved in business in that in those days that ended up not making it and losing their business and have to leave. And it was a tragedy for this community because we lost some very good people. So if you're if you make it through, then I say you're very fortunate to be in a situation that you could manage through it. But when you manage through it and when you're in that situation and you think you can make it through, then the, re- then the future does look good because you know it's going to be better. And I think that's where we're at now with the pandemic. It's, it's a challenge. We're at a certain point where we feel okay, I think I can handle this, and I think I can handle what's coming at us, so therefore the rest is going to be better. Does that sound? <laughs> yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. Um, if you can survive what's going on, the better days are ahead of us. It's just everybody right now is wondering how long do we got to survive for? Right at the beginning, you don't know that. You don't know that. You well, don't and know I, that. I always say, right, if you had a crystal ball and could see it was coming, but I mean that isn't life. That isn't that isn't what you get to experience. I you I, only understand life backwards. The problem is you have to live it forward. That's right. And what I love, and what I was saying to uh, Louis when he was in here before, is what I love about doing this right here, is it's a way to. Look back at some events that are not identical to what we're going through. That's that's not the right way to phrase it, right? No yeah. bust is ever the same, and no right. boom is ever the same, right? But you can understand that some lessons just transfer over time, and that's what that's what I like to go after. I like to go after your life experiences, what you've done, 
and how that can be transferred to people, whether it's right now or whether it's 20 years from now. There's yes. there's certain yes. lessons that are, I assume your parents have passed along lessons to you, uh, if you think about it, that maybe- I think they passed on lessons to me that I didn't know they were passing on. <laughs> what lessons you know, would those be? You know, um, my mom is still alive, over 100. Well, her next birthday really? will be 101. My dad passed away at 73. I really saw in my dad probably a lot of community involvement. He was the guy that started the hockey league. He was the guy that went around selling all the memberships to the athletic club in Lloyd Mis in, in my little town of Cutknife to get everybody together to build a new arena. Um, he was the guy doing this, and he was involved in the Legion and in the Masons and in the whatever group it was, he was involved in it. Um, he was involved in politics. Uh, and I, I learned that from him. I mean, he, he always give back and, and try and help somebody else. Um, my mom, I never heard her say a bad word about anybody, but she just did what she had to do every day. Um, and now when I look back and I think there were seven kids and, and the two of them, that's nine people fed three times a day and never was there a, a KFC to go get a, uh, stuff in and get food brought in or anything like that. And you go, wow, that must've been horrendous staring at them every day. And then you look around and you think, well, everybody was in the same boat. Um, but that's what everybody did. They just. They just did what they had to do. And, you know, when you look back, probably more so now, I'm starting to say every day, I'm every day now I understand my mom and dad more and more and more. Every day I start to go, wow, <laughs> what they were doing. Um, we had seven kids, so every person had their own day for doing the supper dishes. We used to feel like, it was um, terrible that that we had to do all this work at home. We had to do the supper dishes. It was our job to clean up the supper dishes. Um, and we, why would we have to do that? And now I look back on that, and I think that's the only thing we did. Um, we cleaned up the supper dishes for Mom. When she was done supper, she went in the living room and sat down. She was done. But she'd been going all day. Like when you came home, meals were ready. When you came home, the bathrooms were cleaned, the clothes were cleaned, uh, everything was done. And you go now. You I, I start to look back at that and say, "Wow, everything was done. There was never a question." And and it was always done to the point that you never ever questioned it, and so you just assumed it. And then, and now you go, "Wow." That was pretty darn good. So we always had a good base. We always had that stuff provided. And so you could go and spend whatever time and effort on what you wanted to do. And you didn't have to come home from school and worry about problems at home. Um, that, you know, when you look back now at all these kinds of issues that are in homes and you go, geez, we never had any of that. So I guess I was free then to do my own thing all the time. And all our, us kids in our family were a, 
allowed to do that because everything was looked after at home and we didn't realize but that gave us I think a nice base and went forward from there well I have three children four and under <laughs> and it's a ton of work I like yes and my, I grew up in a family of five kids right and I'm seven kids and I had uh, one of the Harris's on there was 11 kids and you just go like they're bloody saints. That's what they are for taking on, not taking on, but like the amount of work that goes into three kids under four. I just can't imagine adding one more in or another in or four more in or whatever the number is. Like the the beds, the clothes, the food, the activities. I mean, you know, uh, you talk about, you know, the phys ed coming in and then the more opportunities to go play other sports well before that you just threw them out in the backyard i suppose and just let them have at it now like there's activities at all times for anything you want to go do whatever you want to do there's an opportunity to go do that the opportunities are endless now yep yep it's unreal yep but what they did it's on just they just did it there was never any question about it or they just did it it was all there. Have you ever asked your... So I guess, you know, today we hear on the news Alex Trebek has died. Yeah. And all the outpouring of him. And then you look at why did he fight so hard to stay alive once he was diagnosed with his cancer? And he publicly uh, talked about it and went through it. And then you say, what did I learn from my mom and dad? And you look at that too and you say... There's something in that guy that um, when he was presented with the challenge, he just did it. How did he learn that? Um, and I guess maybe that's what some of us did when we say, how, did we, how come we have a positive look or something like that? Well, maybe because our parents in the household, we kind of grew up with that that our parents were just positive about it or or just if if things got challenging one day they just did it they just handled it and we kind of see that and so we learn from that and probably down, like you sit here today and say to me so what did you learn well I don't know what I learned but I did learn it, it and maybe it was through osmosis you stole that, the word out of my head <laughs> that it, I absorbed it somehow, and for some reason I'm doing this this way, and probably because that's the way I've seen it done. Well, I forget who said it in this room, but they talked a lot about learning by seeing, not not by hearing, right? Like, it's great you say something, but show me, and that's the best way to learn. I, I think kids pick up on what you do. I mean, obviously. More so than what you say. That's right. You, you mentioned your mom's 101. Will be 101, yes. Do you ever just pick her brain on some of the things that... Can't anymore. Can't anymore? It's not there anymore. But up until two years ago, three years ago, she was fine. She was living by herself till she was 89 in her own house. I don't know how she did that. Till one day I went to her and said, Do you want to move? Yeah, I'd like to. Oh, Okay. 
in those in those years when she's in her 80s did you ever pick her brain on on growing up and not a near enough i now that i have all the questions <laughs> yeah i want to go and say how did you do this or how did you do that and 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 probably um i don't know whether this is an excuse but probably since i retired do you reflect more about that um and when you're working you're still go, 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 go. And even though you take days off from time to time, you're still, your mindset is in what you're doing and what's going to happen when you get back to work and still the challenges that are there. And after you retire, when, when that world all goes away and then you start to reflect more on your parents and your upbringing and your life and what did you do and why didn't you do this or um, and what do you remember... And then you start to sit around and remember about what you used to do and as a kid. And I guess, and then now you have time to sit and relax and think about this stuff. And you go, holy smokes. <laughs> and then you go, I should ask my dad. Well, he's gone now. Now you start to say, well, what, how did dad do that? Well, how did he do that? Well, when did he do that? And then you go, I guess I can't ask him anymore. You know, you shouldn't beat yourself up because... You know, what I, everything you just said makes so much sense to me, it's not even funny, because uh, my grandmother, Dora Newman, we talk about her a lot. Um, she passed away, and she was a, a lady in her 80s that lived by herself, still drove, still gardened, uh, like, just things that you just, but she was so active, so sharp, all the way up until the day she passed, and all of us grandkids talk about, man, wouldn't it have been awesome if I would have been able to do this with her? And all of us say that, right? What I love about now is when I enter, I, I'm going to steal a line from Ray Ferraro. He was on the podcast and he said one of the lessons he's learned after his NHL career was to be where your feet are. And I love when I get in here, I don't look at that thing anymore. It's, it's gone. This this thing just disappears. I, I like to just, okay, let's sink the ears into what the guest is saying and let's let's really try and pick up on some things and, and dig into it. And that's what this room has become. It's become a spot where I can have different people come in and try and pull as much out of them as I humanly possibly can. And what I hear out of you again is what uh, I got irritated. I've had my dad, uh, uh, I've interviewed my father once and I wanted to do it every Father's Day. And he blew me off this Father's Day, and I kind of let it slide. I just got, oh, okay, fair enough. He's uh, 64. And I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's probably ridiculous. But what I hear out of you is no more because you're absolutely right. I have so many questions for him. Probably could fill hours upon hours of doing this just by listening and getting his thoughts. And how amazing will that be as the years progress? to have that and to have asked those questions. Yep. Exactly right. Don't leave it unsaid. You know, so uh, my daughter got me uh, a few years back these grandchild books. Okay. And you're supposed to go through and put all your memories about this and that and everything in this book, then give it back to her to get, for the grandkid to have to be able to look at someday. And of course... Joni and I said, oh, we're not doing that. Gee, that's a bother. So we stuck them in the <laughs> drawer. And then 
last year, I thought, no, we should be filling those out. Johnny, no, no, I don't want to do that. So I started filling mine out, and of course, then I get a bunch of questions. So the last trip out to Victoria, I take the books with me, and I say, so I've done this much. Have a look at it. Is What else would you like in here? You know, and so then we talked a little bit about that, and I brought them home so that I can do some more on it. But it is a project. It is a very important project because there's going to be a day when I'm not here, and they can pull that out and have a look, and they say, well, what did they do there? And then, oh, it should be in there. Yeah. Well, the lovely thing I love about uh, conversing with somebody is that you can just have it in your words, I guess, is the way my brain works, right? To read something, then I'm reading it, and I'm going, ah, I wonder what he meant by that. And when we're talking, at any point, you can just interject and go, well, what do you mean by that? I... It has to be tough, I assume, to have a parent still alive at 101, which is absolutely impressive. Like 100 years, think about that. That is unbelievable. I don't mean to bring up um, tough, and if you just want to skip over it, that's totally fine. But at 101, to have a parent still alive, is it just tough? You can't sit and just dig into her her life and, and, and have those memories and shared with and write them down or what what have you it is it's disappointing uh, that but you it's it's my fault it's i didn't i'm the one that didn't ask the questions when i probably should have um i just look at it and say it it's been a blessing to have the influence that we've had from mom and the leadership that has been there. And um, you kind of look at, it's wonderful that she's lasted as long as she has, and that she, and it's disappointing that it's ending this way. Um, but it just appreciate uh, all that we've had from her. Um, it's too bad that I didn't ask some of the questions when I should have, um, what are, what but, are I, so, but that's fine. That's just. What are what are some of the questions you would like to ask your mom? Um. Probably what it was like when um having to look after all these kids all the time, and they're all coming in, and like now when when I sit around and and these grandkids start running around you, and I think, well, cheapers in our house, there'd have been twice as many. <laughs> And you go, oh, man, that must have been tough. But they just knuckle on and and do it. Um, Probably uh, those kinds of things. Well, how about this? Whether it was two or seven, being a parent, I understand personally uh, the first kid is challenging. We all know why because you have no idea what the heck's going on. Two is challenging because now you have two of them. Three is challenging because now you have three of them. So let's talk about having your first. What was that like for you? Uh, It's pretty exciting. That's very exciting. But like you say, um, you're not sure yet. You're you're just being a new parent. Um, And so you're probably um, working harder at being a parent 
And then we had another daughter three years later. So they were far enough apart that by the time the second one came to the stuff that the first one had already done, um, you kind of saw the results a little bit, so you maybe weren't as anal about some things. Um, <laughs> but in the this summer, um, we had a conversation with our oldest daughter, she's now 45, and she's just saying to us, I'm kind of looking at my kids and I'm thinking, you know, um, I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants here. And she says, you know, I'm just realizing you guys were too. <laughs> it's a crazy realization, and said, isn't it? And, it's, and it's, she's saying, I'm just realizing that you were flying by the seat of your pants too. And uh, yeah, we were. <laughs> um, but um, like that ad says, if you're doing your best, that's good. You're doing it right. Um, and that's all it takes is if you care about what you're doing and you care about them to, enough to do what's best for them, you'll be fine. And you just go day by day and handle it day by day. And it's, it's like so many things people say, it's a good thing you don't know what's ahead of you or you'd probably stop. Um, but when you just take it a day at a time, it's like any big job begins or any journey steps starts with a single step so if you just do one step at a time and try and make sure you're doing it right and usually with these young people um, they're just so excited enthused about doing the right thing and being right and and doing that that that's great that's all you need and you're properly equipped to take on the world <laughs> you know I have this this happened like literally like five days ago. It's funny that your daughter says you were flying by the seat of your pants. I was remembering as a kid walking in and my father playing for Suncor, I think it was, a rec hockey team, and thinking they were so old. And I started doing the math this week. You're at the same age. And we're at the same age. And I'm like, and I, I got to be very, very clear. I do not feel old at 34. Actually, I think... Man, I was dumb at 30. Man, I was dumb at 25. Man, I was extremely dumb at 18. And I, I feel like, I, I'm just curious what I'm going to feel at 40 because I remember thinking at 20, 30 was old. At 30, 40 is old, right? And I'm trying to just like take that mindset and be like, throw it out the, out the window because I don't know half the things I think I do. And probably in another five years, I'll look back and think of some of the things I thought I knew and I had no idea. And um, when I listen to your daughter say that to you, I know that feeling because at 34, yep. my son probably thinks, man, you're so old. I was driving down the freeway one time with my daughters in the back seat and they talking about being old. And I said to Michelle, so what do you call old? She said 25. <laughs> to her, she was just a small kid. 25 was old. A life. But I also uh, had a situation when my grandson started going playing hockey, and I was well, go watch him play hockey, and he'd kind of stumble around a little out there, and I thought, you know, that's about the caliber that I was when I was a kid. I really wasn't that great, but I remember very distinctly thinking I had this all cased, <laughs> and I remember very distinctly thinking, wow, I'm. I'm pretty hot at this. And then I, I look at it now and I thought, I was terrible. <laughs> but I remember distinctly thinking I really had this one cased. 
You know, you mentioned with your first kid, you were anal about certain things. And by the time the second one came around, you'd loosen the reins, shall we say. Yes. Do you remember what you were anal about with the first? Was there certain things you're like, nope, she's not touching that or not getting on that or... I don't know, maybe cleanliness, right? Uh, I think of vehicles in the, in the beginning, you're like, no, nope, we got to keep it spick and span. And then, you know, as the kids start to pile on and they throw a cut, you're like, ah, it's going to happen anyways. What, what, well, what were one of the things? That- um, I don't remer- really remember a lot of particular things. Um, when we moved to Lloyd, my wife retired from nursing and became a full-time homemaker and mother and was very good at it. And the nice thing about that was I didn't really have to worry about much. But I would be a sounding board. So lots of times we would kind of discuss things. But with our older daughter, um, a lot of times you could just explain to her, here's why you shouldn't do that. And she'd say, that makes sense and not do it. Um, Leslie was a little different and he had to work at it a little more. Uh, But my mother, her, um, her mother did all that. Um, which was very good for me because it, it left me um, available for more to focus on my role at the office more. And I was involved in a number of community groups and organizations also. So um, that worked out for the better. But, but I had, I had a, um, a very strong partner in, <laughs> in uh, looking after that. How many years have you and Joan been married now? Uh, 47. 47. Over 47 years of marriage. What's what's something you go, yeah, this is a key to a successful marriage? Um, the big question is never in doubt. Um, when you get married and you say, okay, we're headed into this for a lifetime and we're going to be partners for the life, for the rest of our lives. And I guess you just take that on and say, that's my commitment. That's the big question. And it's not going to be discussed again. So when bumps in the road come along, it's never a question of, is this something to break up on or something like that? It's the big question is done with. This isn't, um, this isn't a breakup or anything, so we got to solve this. And uh, my wife was always one that would, I would probably let stuff stew, and she would always say, we got to solve this. And yes, we would. And so really... I owe it to her in making sure that when there was bumps in the road, we got together and solved them and moved on. But from my point of view, and my advice is, there's the big questions and then the littler questions. And the big question has to be that uh, you've that's solved and that's done and the commitment is there and it's not going to change. That also helps with whenever there's opportunities to sidetrack you and take you away if you focus if you know that the big question is done that the straying isn't there it doesn't happen because it's not even an option so that's uh, in my opinion 
but I think mainly my wife is should be getting all the credit for. You married a good I, woman. I, I married. I married. What did uh, Ronald Reagan say? Above our pay grade. <laughs> um, she was smarter than me and knew when there was things that needed to be solved, they had to be solved. And I was the type of person that could let stuff stew. She couldn't. So because she couldn't let it stew, we'd have to get it solved. And, of course, that was good for me, too, because when it's solved, then you move on. You mentioned, um, first off, I think that's great advice. I think that's really good advice. I've never had the big, I was like, what do you mean by that? And then, no, that's very good. You mentioned being involved in community groups, that you're involved in many community groups, and that maybe that stems from how much your father was involved in the community. Mm-hmm. What community groups were involved in, and maybe what's one or a couple of the things that really stick out that you're proud of, um, that you accomplished or were a part of with these with these different groups? Well, um I was involved with the city, LIDA, Chamber of Commerce, um, Lakeland College, advisory committees, um, Saskalta Training Group. Um, I guess probably the the Chamber of Commerce was a was a good time. Uh, we, lots of good people around there. We really had some challenges when a bunch of us got involved there and found out it was broke and bankrupt and really in dire straits and with some leadership uh, we got that thing turned around and got it on solid footing and I spent about 15 years with the chamber and a year as president and I was the president the year we had $10 oil and we had politicians coming in and um, wanting to find out more about our heavy oil situation and so we did have a number of meetings that year with ministers provincially and federally about the oil and and uh, the the industry and that kind of stuff and we had great people in the industries that worked with us and made presentations and did well and so I'm I'm pretty pleased with the contributions uh, that I made over the years with the chamber Um, and then I was on the Economic Development Authority for uh, Lloyd Minster uh, for a few years and through that we started a training group um, and it was called the Saskelta Training Group and I chaired that for all the years that it existed and uh, during those years Canada Employment Centre had a bunch of money to put into job training um, but they needed a local community group that would do the analysis in the community and figure out the needs um, and so our group got organized and did that, and we would provide the information to the um, employment center, and they would give us the, the funding for a lot of programs that got put on. And um, a large part of it got started when they were going to build the upgrader, and um, they needed to do a lot of backfilling and em- employment training in the community to fill jobs at the upgrader and to fill jobs. Um, in the community that would be left vacant from people moving to those other jobs. So um, that organization did a lot during those years in in uh, providing a lot of that. And I spent probably 10 or 15 years on the 
um, advisory committee with Lakeland College, um, and that was a great. Uh, it was it was interesting and learn, uh, challenging at times, and uh, nice to see the way that has grown. When I was president, they had just announced that they were going to build this new facility here in Lloyd uh, for the, the Lakeland College campus. And uh, we said at that time, said the nice thing about a college is it builds a facility and fills it up and then adds on and then build, fills that and then adds on and fills that. So it's going to be something that is always growing and growing and growing with the community. And the services to the community are going to continue to grow. And uh, so uh, it was fun being part of that. And I was on the um, fundraising committee the, with the Vic Juba Community Theater. Um, I was in the Lions Club for a very short time, but that was fun too. Um, so it was in my job um, with CKSA Radio and Television and CITL TV in the sales area, we also worked with a lot of community groups. And there was a... Um, my brother-in-law, Ken Ruptash, who was general manager of the stations, got the station involved in a number of groups and fundraising and events and stuff that we got involved in. We put on the bike-a-thon to uh, help build the grandstand that is now at the exhibition grounds. Uh, Ken got in, started the Tournament of Champions um, with the ball, the spring tournament that goes, still goes on in our community. So we got involved with a lot of things, and it was fun. And it was because of our jobs and our position in the community, um, you knew where all the groups were that needed help, and a lot of them would come to us. And uh, it was fun to be able to respond to a lot of them and help them out. And uh, so we we did quite a bit of that. And you feel good now looking back at, when we were there, what did we do, and did we give back? And I think we did very good. And I think uh, that was kind of passed on to us uh, from Joan's dad, who started the stations, and he was always a big uh, community supporter. So and we carried on the tradition that he had started. What... You've caught me in a... <laughs> I'm thinking about everything you just said. And I find myself at a, at a stop for a second. I, I was wondering, like, over your time in working in media in Lloyd Minster, what's maybe one of the biggest... And I don't know if changes is, is the right way. But you've seen a, like... On television and businesses in town, there's television has just grown exponentially. Businesses in town have grown exponentially since since first coming here. What has been one of the biggest or maybe most memorable changes, uh, whether it's in Lloyd Minster or whether it's on the media side of it, or maybe both, that has happened um, that sticks out to you, that's memorable? Um, you know, for years, um, 
it was a smaller community and every everything was done in town by a lot of small business people all the businesses were locally owned and I remember distinctly in 1990 when Nelson Lumber announced uh, they were going to build this new superstore and I thought this is take and people were saying oh is that really good for Lloyd Minster and we're saying well I guess they're going to drag us into the 90s so it really changed the Lloyd Minster from being a, a bit of a service center for the Midwest area to now becoming more of a major shopping destination for the whole Midwest region and one of the competitors competing communities in in our region was always the Battlefords um, and as you go from Lloydminster to the Battlefords the, the closer you get to the Battlefords the people would go there um, now that we were kind of taking Lloydminster to a next step um, or a larger uh, community or services um, provided that weren't provided before I think we then enlarged that um, also um, one of the the big I think benefits that Lloydminster had was the television stations so the television stations every day were beaming out to the Bonneville area to Cold Metal Lake down around Cutknife Unity um, Wainwright, Provost, it was promoting Lloydminster. It was promoting all the services and, and everything that was available to Lloyd, in Lloydminster. So every day, these people in their daily lives are getting up and doing their thing, and then they're tuning into their television viewing and they're being influenced from Lloydminster. When Mr. Shortell was looking at putting the CTV station here, there for many years it was the Edmonton station that wanted to put a rebroad here. And Mr. Shortell said, no, it has to be a local station because we don't want all these Edmonton businesses coming in and telling people in Lloydminster, come to Edmonton, come to Edmonton. And so he made sure it became a local station so all the people in the Lloydminster region were being told all the time to come to Lloydminster, and so the big benefit was for us, for this community. So I think that had a lot to do with us becoming that center. And then you take things like the Superstore. Um, so did that come because it had a TV station that could bring the people in? Um, well, probably had something to do with it. Um, but also the people looking at the invest, excuse me, looking at the investment would have been saying it's a big enough center and it can become a bigger center and we want to get in there and grow the business. So I think those are some of the things that were happening through there. And then as you get into the 90s and, and closer to the turn of the century, there's more of that with the power center and with other big box stores and probably... When you go back to the 80s and come back to 2000, most of the businesses in Lloydminster were locally owned businesses. And then there started to be Canadian Tires and these kinds that were national chains, but they had a local owner. 
And now we're moving more into national chains that are also owned by national, international companies. So the amount of local businesses is getting less and less and less. And that's a concern because as now with COVID-19, there is really a lot more um, promotion of the fact that it's your local businesses that fund your ball teams, your hockey teams, um, the Lions Lions Club, the Kiwanis, the Rotary. It's all these people that make up the fabric of your community. And these, the car dealers, these are the people that get bombarded day in, day out by community groups saying, can you give us some money to keep operating? And these businesses keep saying yes, yes, yes. And these businesses keep doing whatever they can. And so the one thing that is the one positive that has come out of the COVID-19 is the focus on all these small businesses in your community and keep them alive. One thing about this area, we have a lot of agriculture. And one of the things that you'll never have to talk to a farmer about is supporting your local town. They know that right from the day one. And it you go to the you go to most people in the community, where did you buy your car? Well, I bought it down the road there because they had a better deal. And you ask the farmer where he bought his and he bought it right in town. Why? Because when I want to go get parts, when I need to go buy something, I need a dealer there. So it just and it's just second nature to a farmer that you don't buy stuff somewhere else. You buy it from the community that you support and you buy it where you where you go for everything else. And we've talked, well, that has been brought up an awful lot. You met, you bang on here since the pandemic hit, uh, and everybody's been, you know, closing their doors or shutting up or can't get in or whatever. Um, to me, it's become evident more so every day that it was only like 15 years ago, maybe, maybe less, maybe a little bit more, somewhere in that time frame, when everything was locally owned. Uh, or a majority of it was locally owned. I'm not saying all of it, but a lot. And a lot of successful businesses in the oil field and stuff were locally owned. And now it's becoming less and less and less. And uh, I think you bang on. A lot, a lot of that money that gets... Um, the businesses that are taking a lot of that money that aren't owned locally, it doesn't get put back in. It goes elsewhere. And that is... Uh, I think it's very evident, and I wonder, I think more and more eyes start to see that as the days tick by, and you wonder what comes of that down the road. You know, like you say, we talk can't see what, what happens in the future, and so you wonder where that goes. You wonder if that creates yes. more local businesses yes. and more businesses yes. start to open up, and they get the people from here focusing on supporting them, if that yeah. happens. Yeah. I, I think that's a result of this COVID-19. Um there's there's probably been there's been a lot more focus on supporting local businesses and i think it's been very positive and it's i'll bet there's a lot of people that have kind of known that in the back of their head but really haven't thought about it and they thought oh yes my kids my grandkids are on these teams and these teams wouldn't be there without the local businesses well okay we've been going for uh Closing in on an hour and a half. So I don't... Yeah, and it's funny how time flies when you're having a good time. Yep. 
Um, I just, before I let you go, is there anything that, uh, um, that maybe I've passed by? Is there something else that we should dig into before I let you go? Is there something that, you know, you think, gee, this meant a lot to me in life and I should, I should let, you know, whoever hears about it coming along. You spend a lot of time in this community. You've got two grown daughters and grandchildren and all that. You've lived a very good life. You have a lot of years ahead of you. And if you're anything like your mother, maybe you got a lot, a lot of years ahead of you. Is there something that is near and dear to you that we haven't, uh, you know, crossed paths with and that we should discuss? Um, not really. I probably had more to say than I thought I ever would. <laughs> um, but I do uh, appreciate this community. Um, we were very fortunate uh, to end up in this community um, and be able to spend our life here. Um, there's a lot of positive things about this community. Um, there's always been lots of entrepreneurial spirit here. There's always been lots of spirit of community and helping each other. And uh, I'm just very thankful that I was able to spend my career here working and contributing and being part of it. And I think this community has is growing. And I think that we're in a little bit of a lull right now. But we've got some good times ahead of us and some better times ahead of us. And we're going to have some more hiccups. But, uh, yeah, we're we're going to be just fine. And um, the people that we've attracted around here and the lot of uh, traditional families that have been here for many years are all contributing. And we're going to be we're going to be fine. Well, I just want to say thanks for, for coming in today, Graham. This has been a really you're, enjoyable. You're welcome. Yeah, it's been really enjoyable for me. And um, I hope uh, now that, you know, when we first sat down, you're, ah, I don't know why I'm here. Well, I hope now you've enjoyed yourself and that, uh, well, it'll be something that when you, when you get the, the USB with the, the interview, something for your family to look back on. And, and uh, like I say, it's been really enjoyable sitting across from you. Thank you very much. Hey, folks. Thanks for joining us today. If you just stumbled on the show, please click subscribe. Then scroll to the bottom and rate and leave a review. I promise it helps. Remember, every Monday and Wednesday, we will have a new guest sitting down to share their story. The Sean Newman Podcast is available for free on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you get your podcast fix. Until next time. Hey, Keeners. I got to give a shout out to Amber Fisher. She uh, she reached out on Instagram and said, Brady Leovold, best podcast I've listened to of yours. Uh, blown away. Thanks for helping him share his story. Very inspiring. And if you haven't listened to Brady Leovold, I uh, highly suggest you go back to episode 176. He's a, a young guy who, who uh, was in the WHL and then uh, gets signed by the Tampa Bay Lightning and then goes down the road of cocaine, heroin, fentanyl, living on Hastings Street, homeless on Hastings Street, and uh, has pulled himself back out of that. And it's a pretty, I don't know, crazy story, I think is maybe the easiest way to describe it. So thanks. Thanks, Amber, for for reaching out. Uh, I hope everybody uh, has enjoyed this week. Uh, We went from, we've kind of jumped all over the map, which as you all know by now, that's exactly how I enjoy it. I enjoy... um, different topics, different people, different perspectives, and uh, really trying to, uh, 
you know, follow where where my mind goes. And, and lately it's been kind of all over the map. Um, so I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, next week, you know, we got another couple great ones on tap for you. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for you guys to find out a little closer to Monday. I did take a, a little reprieve from social media. If anyone's following me on social media, I, uh, I told the wife last week, I just, just don't feel like posting anything. I, th- I think I'm just going to leave it for part of the week and, and go enjoy May long. And that's exactly what I did. I tried turning the phone off as much as I could. Um, that way I just, I didn't have to look at it. I, I'm so tired. Uh, well, not so tired. There's days where I just, you know, there's just so much on social media that I just could care less about. So I took the time to, uh, to just kind of recharge, so to speak, and, and really not pay any attention to what was going on, which meant I didn't post anything even for the podcast, which I've now gotten back to, you know, making sure that with new guests coming out, everybody's up to date on who's, who's out on the podcast, that kind of thing. Um, but no worries. Everybody, everybody knew, uh, rain or shine Monday, Monday, Wednesday, uh, we got somebody coming for you. All right. Now, if you're the champ, chances are you didn't get out golfing on May long and you're, you're really foaming at the mouth. No worries. The time is coming. But it is only Wednesday, so maybe feed off the desk. Let's go to work, all right? We'll catch up to you guys Monday.